Thank you so much, Pastor Jason, and thank you, Ruth, and the singers and the musicians for doing this live stream. We welcome everyone. Some of you may be young. Some of you are parents. Some of you are older. Some of you could be from Singapore. Some of you are turning in, tuning in from overseas. Whoever you are, whatever age, whatever background, you are blessed. You know why? Not because we carry any blessings, for whenever we share God's Word, we are blessed. Blessed in hearing, and more importantly, blessed in living out God's Word. So if you join us at a good time because we are starting the first book of the Bible and we arrive at Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, I want to explore with you the issue or the topic of, the issue or topic of, what's your view of God? So, for one child, the view of God is as in a drawing, comes up here. God has very big ears. And why does God have very big ears? Because God hears everything that we speak about. So we've got to be very careful. So this child's idea of God, view of God, is that God has very big ears. The next one, the next child. The next child's view of God is this. God is sitting in front and God is God because He controls the eye cloud. And so <laughs> you and me cannot control things like that. And for this child, God is God simply because He's powerful enough to do this. So what's your view of God? Many of us have no problems with our views of God, our spectacles of God, our perspective of God, um, a God of our own imagination. Many of us, like the song that we just sang before the Bible reading today, that God is to be glorified all seasons. We don't mind knowing God, praying to God, trusting in God. When? When the times are good. But when the times are not so good as we are now facing globally with COVID-19, then the God that we are supposed to believe in is not so easy to believe in. So let's listen to this one, a more serious view about God. The God I don't believe in. No, I shall never believe in the God. The God who catches men and women by surprise. How? In a sin, in a moment of weakness. A God who loves pain. A God who makes himself feared a God who is incapable of smiling at our awkward mistakes in life day by day, a God who plays at condemning people, a God who sends people to hell. This is a God I cannot believe, who always demands 100% in all his examinations, who says, you will pay for that. A God who prefers purity to loving people. And this was written by a famous Spanish priest, Catholic priest, called Juan Arias all those years ago. So what's your view of God? Our view of God is okay, it's lighthearted, until we come to a God who gets angry, a God who judges, a God who punishes. And that's why Genesis chapter 6 is a little bit problematic because for many of us as modern-day people, this is the God we meet in Genesis 6. So let's look hard at God's Word to try and understand from His perspective what He's teaching us and what He's telling us. So, an outline of Genesis 6 to chapter 7 verse 9 that we are addressing today, learning humbly under God, is the first four verses is our view of ourselves. And from verse, uh, verse 5 onwards, sorry, verse 5 to verse 7 is God's view of us. And then the rest of that portion is God's view of this man called Noah, whom we were first introduced to at the end of chapter 5, whose name means rest, or his name means comfort, who will come to bring relief. And so that's a simple way to understand this portion in front of us. Chapter 6, verse 1. When men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh, his days, shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now when we read this chapter, the first difficult thing that we try, need to try to understand, whether we're young or old, is who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? And why is it when they started to relate in this way, it made God 
angry. It brought out what we call God's wrath, a bigger, a bigger word. And so three possibilities. The first possibility is that the sons of God were probably spiritual beings, angelic beings, created by God, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. If this is true, then the first possibility is angel and human marriages. And what's so strange about this? What's so wrong about this? In the ancient Near Eastern world, when this was written, ancient Near Eastern world, and in short form, A and E, right? There were many similar accounts of spirits and humans marrying. And because of that marrying, and in the temples that they worship them, comes fertility to get children, pros prosperity for our land. And so, could this be a meaning of it? The second possible meaning is that the sons of God belong to what we call the godly line. If you've been reading account up to this point, the godly line is Adam's line through Seth because Cain, the ungodly line, had killed off Abel. So this was perhaps, secondly, a possibility between Seth's descendants and Cain's descendants. And this is perhaps what displeased God. Or the third possibility, studied possibility, that Christian scholars have looked at, is this speaks about really superior kings. And if you are king, right, you could choose any woman that you wanted. So stories told by one of my relatives who worked in the airlines um, as an air stewardess years and years ago. As she flew in these airlines, one day, unknown to them, uh, there was a royalty, right, a royalty from a neighbouring country, and the royalty was really attracted to one of the air stewardesses on that plane. By the time the plane landed, he had gotten his assistant to say to that air stewardess, bring her to me. I want her for myself. And in that particular country, um, you can't say no to the royalty. With powerful men, kings of the past, kings of the present, that's how they do it. Whatever they like, whatever they choose. So as we read this account, as modern day people, you say, very strange, the three possibilities. Could it be angels and human marriages and unions? Could it be the godly, ungodly line? Uh, strange doesn't mean not true. Strange doesn't mean not true. I went to Cambodia, and for the first time, I ate crickets. Actually, insects are quite good. They're full of vitamins. But uh, when I saw they were serving us crickets, I sort of paused for a moment. Strange doesn't mean not true. Strange can be true. So what is happening here, we don't understand the full details. We will never know until we go to heaven. But here are three possibilities. It's not the type of sin, but the fact that there was sin between either the angelic beings and the human beings or between the human beings themselves. And this went against God and His purposes. Now, even stranger, you will read of the Nephilim. And the Nephilim, who are they? Could they be the fruits, the children, the offspring of the forbidden marriages? And then they are described as men of renown. Men of renown. And their motto in life, their principle of life is you, if you're strong, might is right. Whatever you do in life, just get to be strong and do whatever you can because God is not right, might is right. So when you read this account, it has echoes of Cain's line. Remember Cain's line? Ending up with Lamech. Whatever Lamech liked to do, might is right. Not God is right. And in this line, there was no sign that missing God was anything bad for him. So, a summary up to this point is in verse 1 and 2. For the description of men and women, no God in their life, God is totally absent. And they basically said, no problem. Actually, life is so good. Whatever I like to do, I do. Nothing is going according to God's design, whether of angelic beings or human beings. And this is an attack against God, His purpose, His order, His name, 
his renown. And we could call it, in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, here is the goodness of badness. We are living bad lives against God, but we are saying it is so good. Whatever we want to do, we do, and there are no side effects of this. There is no repercussions for this. No consequences, no punishment for this. But then we come to chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, and this is God's view of us. Actually, the first sign of God's view was in verse 3. And in verse 3 it says, The Lord said, My spirit will not contend with men forever, for his mortal, his days will be 120 years. So two possible meanings. Because of our increasing sin against God, God cuts down the length of years. Remember in chapter 5, they lived 800 years, they lived 900 years, and then they died. But because of the spreading of sin, God could have cut it down to 120. Or the second possible meaning, it's 120 years before God will do something about mankind's collective sin against Him. So, by chapter 6, verse 7, verse 6 and 7, you get God's view. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know what we call this statement? A big adult word, two big adult words, is total depravity, which means when we live against God, we are totally sinful. Why? Because there are three words there. Every intention of our hearts are only evil all the time or continually, superlative. So for all of you listening to this through live stream at home, you want to turn to someone sitting beside you. It could be your brother, it could be your sister, it could be your friend, it could be your husband or wife, and say your thoughts are only evil all of the time. That's not a nice thing to say to somebody, right? And so total depravity. And sometimes when we face this in ourselves, right, you could be so angry or jealous with your brother or your sister about a toy, about your exam grades, about talent, about how your parents are treating you, that one day in your jealousy, one day in your envy, you are, you are daring to cross the line and push your sister or grab your brother by the neck. And when that happens, sometimes for us as pastors, that's what we listen to. And over the last 30 years, I've listened to those things. I never thought I could do that to my brother. I never thought I could do that to my sister. It made me so frightened that I was so jealous of him. I was so jealous of her. I pinned her down on the floor and almost, almost hurt her. My own sister, my own mother, my own daughter. And so that's the illustration of so afraid of myself. I do not know whether you've read this global news of Quaden Bills nine-year-old in Brisbane, and he has come into the news from yesterday. Why? Because he's repeatedly being bullied. And so what triggered the bully yesterday was he was in school, and yet again, because he's very short, because he's born with a syndrome called dwarfism, right? He was patted on the head again and bullied. His mother and sister watched this from afar, and the mother and sister knew he was being bullied. And Quaden, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, was so traumatised by this, it's not the first time where he expressed as he sobbed and sobbed, as he cried and cried, as he broke down, I want to die, I want to kill myself, I want to die, I want to kill myself. And this is what his mother wrote, and this is what his mother posted. I've just picked up my son from school, witness bullying episode, rang the principal. I want people to know, all sorts of people, from parents to educators to teachers, this is the effect that bullying has. That's the mother, Miss Bill says, as a son who suffers from dwarfism sobs. Every single day, something happens to him. Another episode, another bullying, another taunt, another name-calling, 
can you please educate your children? Can you please teach your families and your friends? Enough is enough. And she posted a video of this and just within yesterday, 14, 15 million viewers. Among the viewers was the actor Hugh Jackman. And Hugh Jackman, as he saw this, his heart poured out to him and Hugh tweeted this or posted this. No matter what, you've got a friend in me, the star of X-Men said in the clip, which has been watched by 41,000 times as a Friday afternoon. And Hugh carries on. Everyone, let's be kind to each other. Bullying, bullying is not okay. Life is hard enough. So let's remember, every person in front of us is facing some kind of battle. So let's just be kind. They are very kind words. But you know the world that we live in? We are not capable of being kind because the thoughts of our hearts are only evil all the time. Something good came out of this, that somebody, one of the celebrities, raised money for Quaden to go to, to Disneyland and that now I think raised about $300,000. But that's a rare thing. Day by day, as we live here in Singapore or anywhere, the bullying, the bad thoughts, the bad words, the put-downs of each other, the hurts and the harms carry on. And then somewhere along the line, you and me have to agree, this is not according to the way God made us. He didn't make us to live this way. He didn't make us to relate to each other this way. That's not God's purpose. That's not God's design. And so, here is Quadden, and there is Hugh Jackman. Australian boy in bullying video receives global support. For every single one who comes out and is protected and cocooned and helped out of bullying, there are millions of others in day-to-day -day living. And sometimes the bullying takes place in, can you guess? Sometimes the bullying takes place in, in our own families. And sometimes it's just not the bullying of the children. Singapore is the second aging, fastest aging country of the world after Japan. Sometimes the bullying is of our parents who as they get older and are unable to earn and unable to stand up for themselves, unable to fight back, face mental abuse, face verbal abuse. And you ask, wasn't this the parent who fed me? Wasn't this the hand who looked after me, who thought about me from morning to night, that I could be so cruel with my words against them? And so when God pronounces this, that every thought of our heart was only evil all the time. Totally sinful. Total depravity. That's you. That's me. So God's view of us from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6. In Genesis 3, Eve saw that the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil was good for wisdom, right? Pleasing to the eye, good for wisdom. She liked it, she took it. That was her, an individual, personally. Did you notice now by Genesis chapter 6, the sons of men saw that the sons of God, sorry, sons of God, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took as they liked. So one way to understand our rebellion against God, express and experience in our sinful lives every day, I see what I like, I like what I see, I take what I like. Doesn't matter who I hurt, doesn't matter who I hum, I am the centre of the universe. I am the centre of the universe. So that is God's opinion of us. And God's opinion of us is always true. And now, as we live in a world of COVID-19, the global problem, the number one word we should be very frightened about, English, simple English word, spread. This thing is spreading from Wuhan to Hubei, to China, to Singapore. This, spring, this thing has spread now to Korea and now to Japan, and how much more will it spread? So this is more frightening than COVID-19. The spread of sin from Adam and Eve singularly, 
to the spread of sin through Cain, to their children, the first family, and now the spread of sin to the whole of humankind. That's what the writer is telling us under God. So we trace from Adam to his family to society, and from Genesis, God said and it was. God said and it was. So you could say that, hey, everything going according to God's creation design is God thinks, God says, and it was so. God thinks, God says, God speaks, and it was so. By Genesis chapter 6, it is, I think, you think, and therefore I am, and it was so. God has been totally thrown out from our life. We have switched from God as the centre of the universe, rightfully so, to you and me as the centre of the universe. That's why the hurting and harming of each other is a nothing when we are willing to hurt and harm God. And how do we know we hurt and harm God? Can you read this together with me wherever we are? And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. Important words for us to try to understand. And the two big words that we need to understand is the word regret and grieve God. What does it mean that God regretted and it grieved Him? So again, tracing the story from chapter 1 to chapter 6. Chapter 1, God saw all that He had made and it was very good. By chapter 6, God saw all that He had made. Yes, men and women, but because they've turned against Him, all that men and women had done, and He was grieved. So notice how do we grieve God. Very important that the thoughts of our hearts was only evil all the time. Thoughts of what? The inclinations or thoughts of our hearts was only evil all the time. And this is what grieves God's what? God's heart. So this is a heart-to-heart -heart matter. If you sit there and I stand here, and wherever we are tuning in, and some of you could be walking, listening to this as you listen to the live stream at some other point, if your heart and my heart are pondering thoughts, thinking thoughts that does not come from God, has nothing to do about God, loving Him and loving others, that thought, that burden in your heart is grieving God. Have you thought about that? It's grieving God. So it's the, grievous, it's the grievousness of our hearts that grieves God's heart. So God, in chapter 1, He filled the earth with men and women. Go forth, fill, multiply, fill the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature. By chapter 6, men and women had filled the earth with corruption and violence. Totally different feeling. God filled it with blessing, God filled it with His purpose, and God filled it for His glory. But we fill it with corruption and we fill it with violence. And how do we know this? We fast forward to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So two verses, and which is the most repeated word? If you're paying attention, corrupt, corrupt, corrupted. So, not, easy, not, uh, not difficult to pick up. Corrupt is used eight times in this very short portion. And the word corrupt, the original word, the Hebrew word, means this thing has been spoke from its original purpose or nature. This thing has been twisted. This thing has been perverted. This thing has been wrongly used from its original purpose or nature. Violence is hurting and harming one another. What we call, in a more adult way, our inhumanity to fellow men. 
So, you know, I like walking and I'm going to end by talking about this a bit more. And so I walked beside uh, the sea at uh, Labrador Park not too long ago. And uh, what did I see? I saw, uh, I saw a face mask <laughs> in the water. And you ask yourself, what's a face mask doing in the water? What is it doing there? And then I saw a tyre. And then I saw plastic bags. It's all in the wrong places. That's what corruption means. Nothing is going according to God's purpose. This is in the wrong place. It is misuse. It is abuse. It is misuse. It's abuse. It's not going according to God's design for God's purpose, for His, for His glory. Violence is what you and me feel in my heart, right? When we put ourselves in the centre, it's all about my time of doing things, my way of doing things, and I can be so, so jealous. I can be so, so angry with my father or mother who tells me, can you stop gaming? I've told you that for the last two hours. No! And you go into another round of this. So what does God regretted means? So the Lord God said, I will blot out men whom I've created from the face of the land, men and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry, for I have made them. Regretted doesn't mean that God is changing His mind that He made you and me in His image. Regretted, as we study the context, most likely means God is changing the way He will deal with us after we rebel against Him, after we sin against Him. For God cannot carry on simply by blessing us though we sin, blessing us though we are proud, blessing us though we go against Him, blessing us though we no longer go according to His design for His purpose, for His glory. So regret perhaps carries that second meaning more than the first. It's not about God changing His mind. That would make God a, a fickle God, a God who cannot make up His mind, want to make us, don't want to make us, want to make us, don't want to make us, made us, then made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. We made a mistake in listening to the serpent. And so, when we see ourselves, there is the goodness of badness. When God sees us, every inclination of our heart is only evil all the time. Totally fallen, totally sinful. Then God sees and God looks. And this time He sees one man. And what does He see? But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with, tell me, violence. That is, your unkindness to my unkindness. Your nastiness, my nastiness. The world is full of meanness and quadrant bills is only but one small recent example of it. That happens every day in every heart. Our violence to each other. Behold, I, God, I will not tolerate this because this is not men and women according to my design. I will destroy them with the earth. So, Noah... You make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. And then from this point onwards, if you read in your Bible, what do you see? We see God giving the exact dimensions to Noah for building this ark. It should be this wide. It should be this long. It should be this high. And you can go and Google it and there are places around the world. I think there's a museum in Louisville, Kentucky that has tried to build an exact replica of this. Efforts have been launched by archaeologists to try to find the ark and something. It's there on Mount Ararat. Whether we find the historic ark or not, this is still a real event. So Noah went off listening to God. So from this point onwards, it is God, not with humanity, the whole human race, 
but God specifically with Noah, who found favour in his eyes. And notice the three things of Noah. Righteous, blameless, walk with God. Righteous, blameless, walk with God. We saw last week in Genesis chapter 5. What did we see in Genesis chapter 5? We saw last week in Genesis chapter 5 that walk with God is a term of closeness, a term of intimacy. You only ever walk with your friends. How many of you go walking with your enemies? We asked last week. Not very often. If you do, you hope you trip him up or trip her up and they never rise again. And so in Genesis chapter 3, 2 and 3, you hear that God walked in the garden, in the cool of the day, a term of relationship, deep relationship. And here, what else do we know about Noah? But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless, walked with God. He was in total contrast to his totally sinful generation. Total contrast is, you know what total contrast is? Total contrast is like a bright light, a star in a dark sky. And when you see a star in a dark sky, my goodness, the contrast just shines out at you. A light in the darkness is in total contrast to total depravity, totally sinful. And God said to Noah, this is what I've determined. So when you read this portion, I have to summarize here. God informs Noah about why he's angry with the whole human race. And then God instructs him about his mercy. His mercy is in the building of an ark for Noah, his sons, and his sons' wives, and for all the animals that God will bring to them. All the animals that God will bring to them this sounds very familiar. Children, remember all the animals that God will bring to them? This should sound very familiar, not just to children, but to all of us. We are following this book because the first time this happened was when God brought all the animals for Adam to name, to find a suitable helper for him. But no suitable helper was found, and this is Genesis chapter 2, and so God had to make him fall into a sleep and make women out of him. So, the bringing of animals to Noah has echoes of Adam still being in charge under God's plan, in charge of the animals. Because we wonder, this is not possible, not possible. What did we say earlier? All these things that we read here in Genesis is strange but true. We mustn't think it's strange and not true. And so our modern-day versions, if you, if you ever watch a movie called Dr. Doolittle, and Dr. Doolittle is a fantasy movie in which this doctor is able to talk to the animals, listen to the animals, um, that is perhaps finds its shade from man ruling over animals. Then God not just informs him of why God is angry with the whole human race and about to judge and about to punish with the flood, but God also includes him by giving him a merciful covenant. But for you, Noah, and your sons, I make a covenant. I make a, a relationship with you. And so, something more dangerous than COVID-19. I say the illustration there. You know what it's like to be asked to be included in a rescue? So I read this article on CNN. CNN, just last night. And what is more dangerous in America? There are very few cases of COVID-19, right? And, uh, but what's more dangerous is the rising racism against Chinese and Asians. And some of the recorded ones in this article had an encounter, most likely in a train station, where a Caucasian man identified an Asian woman, right, and swore at her and say, you guys are responsible for all the diseases of the world. And then she challenged him and then he came back at her and then hit her on the head. Hit her on the head. And it just escalated from that point onwards. And that's only the tip of the iceberg 
of what is happening around the world. The racism now against Chinese and Asian folk, and many Westerners and many other races can't tell the difference between Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, Asians, Cambodians, Vietnamese, as much as many of us Asians may not be able to tell the difference between the Anglo-Saxons and the French and the Greeks. And, and so the racism carries on. But there was something in that article in CNN, that CNN article that says, if you are a witness to this kind of racism, you have to decide whether you want to get involved or not get involved. But if you do get involved, here are some tips. Look around you whether there are enough people to help you get involved. Look whether if this turns nasty, whether there's an escape, escape exit for you, just in case the person you're confronting is stronger than you. Isn't that interesting? God is including Noah in his plan to punish mankind. But Noah is never at risk. He has no risk. His only risky thing is to listen to God and trust in Him. Every other thing that you and me do to try to intervene to rescue people from danger carries risk. And here is God and His covenant. Covenant means it's all from Him and the only thing you need to do, God starts it, God initiates it, He does the three eyes, He informs Him, He then instructs Him to build this ark, and then He includes Him by giving Him this special relationship called a covenant. And all Noah has to do is, all he has to do is grab it with both hands, grab it with both hands. And so what do we learn in our time as we come to the end? The response of Noah, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. And this is the repeated thing, the repeated description of Noah again and again from chapter 6 to chapter 9. Which means, like in total contrast to his, all his generation, Noah was the only one who lived under God's instruction. He did everything as God commanded. God said, right, from the building of the ark to the entry of the ark to the staying in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights to coming out of the ark that we will read next week and you must tune in, hopefully by next week. We might be back in services, we never know. And even if we are back in services, we might still live stream. I'll say more about that later. So he's a man under God's instructions. He did all that totally different to his generation. So, to summarize, as you follow the storyline, God has a plan to destroy death. Because in Adam's line, they lived X number of years and then they died. They lived X number of years and then they died. So we said last week, death comes knocking at our doors. Every single person listening to this, death will one day knock on your door and guess what? you won't be able to resist that knock. It will take you because it's God's punishment not for getting a virus, but God's punishment for our rebellion against Him, for our pride against Him, for our sin against Him. So Cain's line, the ungodly line, ended with Lamech. And Lamech was a killer. He boasted about it. But Adam's line through Seth down to Noah, who is number 10, which is a symbol of completeness, 10 completeness, 10 completeness. In, up, in contrast to Lamech, he is not a killer, he is a deliverer. He is one who will come to bring comfort. He is one who comes to give rest from our very tiring life of hurting and harming each other. Then finally, after all the hurt and harm we do to each other so that we can get ahead, we ourselves will die. And so comes the deliverer from God. Jesus, when He comes, refers to Noah in Matthew 24, verse 36. Can we read this together? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, stay awake, stay awake spiritually, listen to God, listen to His Son, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. For Jesus to warn His generation that if you don't listen to me, you are in the same danger as Noah's generation. As they watched Noah build that ark, they were marrying, giving in marriage, totally, there is a God, and there is a God who is angry with us? I don't think so. Life is so good. This man must be out of his mind. There is a God, and a God who is angry with us. Our life is full of prosperity. Our life is full of fertility. Cannot be that God could be angry with us for living a life without Him. And Jesus comes. But the big difference, so that's the similarity, the big difference is now Jesus, by His death, by His resurrection, and by now His ascension to God's right hand, when He returns, it will be the final judging of the whole world, of the whole universe, the judging of you and me. There will be no more escape. And so, from the ark of Noah in Genesis 6, through the cross of Jesus, we find the same true and living God sending us this message. We should rightly fear God's anger against us. But at the same time, we can humbly trust in His mercy to save us. And both are true because when we see Jesus hanging, bleeding, dying on the cross, it is both the anger of God, the wrath of God, is also at the same time the mercy of God. Mercy means that God withholds what we rightly deserve. And what do we rightly deserve for this Every, every inclination of your heart and my heart is only evil all the time. This totally sinful you and me, we rightly deserve God's judgment. We rightly deserve His punishment. We rightly deserve death. We rightly deserve to be wiped off. So it's only by the finished work of Jesus and by simple faith in Him that we can escape God's wrath and receive God's mercy and grab it with both hands. I have used this illustration many times ever since I saw it. One of the most prime jobs, the most prime jobs in Asia would be doctors, lawyers, bankers, right? Those are the only two, three things we pray for God's will for our children to enter university. Did you notice that? For many of us as Asians, Singaporeans, Malaysians, anything besides doctor, lawyer or bankers is outside God's will. You know what are the prime jobs in a country like Australia where I studied for a long time? Then I watched a documentary on this. One of the prime jobs is to be a lifesaver. So you work at the beach, right? And you're out there, you're trained to save people who might be drowning. And this particular one, they zoomed in on the Gold Coast. And they asked this person who had just come out from rescuing someone. And the, the people most likely to get into trouble are mainly tourists who don't understand the waves and the curls and the ripples uh, in, in that country. And many of them are Japanese tourists, Asian tourists. And so this lifesaver had just come out from rescuing, I think, a Japanese lady that almost drowned in one of the curls and ripples. And then he's breathing away. And they ask him, who are the hardest people to save? The hardest people to save, he says, are those who are still trying to save themselves. So as I come up along them as a lifesaver and I say to them, 
trust me, I'm going to save you. Just relax. I'm going to save you. I put my hand. They are still struggling. That's the most dangerous. The easiest one to save is the one who listens to the instruction of the lifesaver. Trust me. Just trust me. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to swim you to the shore. That's the easiest. It's the same for salvation. If you try to save yourself by pretending you're good, pretending that you don't have a problem, pretending that I'm quite moral, I'm nice, nice son, nice guy, nice daughter, nice father, we are not nice, we are nasty. You want to turn to people in your house and say, you are not, don't say that. From God's perspective, we are not nice. According to chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, each of us in American twang or accent, we are nasty. Nasty and mean. Nasty and mean in your heart. Towards people in your own family. And boy, don't I need saving? I need saving. And no amount of pretending every day is going to make me a nice person. It's going to all of a sudden turn me from nasty to nice. So Jesus and the cross. Please take note. Same Noah and the ark and the generation. Jesus and the cross and our generation. And Jesus is now God's final revelation and final redemption. That means beyond Jesus, God has emptied out His bank account. There is no one else He's going to send to save you and me from Satan, from ourselves, and from God's anger. No one else is going to send. Nothing else He can do because God has emptied His bank account in giving us His Son, whom He loves. So when we come to Jesus and His, the cross, that is God's only way to save us, I want to remind myself and remind you, even as you listen to this, this is not something we, it's not for us to simply discuss, right? In our small groups called discipleship groups or any group that you meet it as Christians around the world, you discuss and then you can discard. This is not something you talk about. Then you give your opinions about the Bible. You give your opinions about Christianity. You give your opinions about Jesus. And then you are settled with your own opinions. I've said many times, God is not interested in your opinions. He wants your obedience. Your opinions might, might land you in the wrong place, it's called death, judgment, and hell. There is no place with Jesus and the cross for us to mentally agree, but no fruit. That we listen on a Saturday or a Sunday, whatever day you listen to God's Word, you go to church, and then you forget God and Jesus by Monday. Worse still, for many of us, we are churchgoers. We listen to God for one hour, then the moment we walk out, we leave God behind in the hall. That's not the way to treat Jesus and the cross. He is God's only, one and only way to be saved. And all who believe in this say, Amen. Totally Amen. So what did we pray for as a nation last week? We prayed for this thing called COVID-19, which is striking fear around the world and striking fear in us because as of last week, only last week, we were the country with the second most highest number of infections. Now we've been overtaken by Japan and Korea. And we were praying because the infection rate was going up and the largest cluster was a church cluster, Grace Assembly of God. And we ended our time by praying for Pastor Wilson Teo. So have you heard the good news? He's been discharged. He's out. It's one thing to pray, but do you believe that God will answer prayers? And so we must give thanks. So if you read his testimony now, I'm sure he'll write a, a longer one. You know, for each one of them which is sent to hospital, and here our main centre is NCID, they are isolated in a ward, in a room by themselves. When you're there in a room by yourselves, mainly with machines to keep you going, of course, with medical personnel who will come in to check on you all the time. And he says, ours is state-of-the-art uh, state technology. But it's the heart of our medical personnel who risk their life to do this. When you are lying by yourself, 
and you could possibly be dying, you have a lot of time to think. Time is your friend. And when you have a lot of time to think about death, it might change life. For many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, we usually need the hard knock of we need to experience near death before our life changes. So the story is told in 1888 of one of the greatest scientists in Europe who had many discoveries and became a multimillionaire of that time from his many discoveries. But he was most famous, sorry, he was most infamous for discovering dynamite. One day, he read the papers of that time, in 1888, and then he came across his own obituary. For the children who are younger, if you read newspapers, obituary is when somebody passes away and then the loved ones, the family members, put in like an announcement there to remember the father, the mother, the grandfather who passed away. And he saw his own obituary. How did that happen? The press, the newspaper had gotten the wrong news. His brother was the one who died yesterday. So they thought it was him who died. And then because he was a famous doctor, he started to read articles about him. And all the articles about him were negative. Even though he had made wonderful scientific discoveries, he was known as Dr. Death. You know who he was? His life changed. From that point onwards, because he looked at how people remembered him, they remembered him for all the bad things in life. And he made many good discoveries, but dynamite can be used for good purposes, can be used for bad purposes. His name was Dr. Nobel, who went on to start the Nobel Prize. Because as he came face to face with what people thought about his life, by looking at his death, he said, something must change in me. Something must change in me. The best thing of something like this viral global flu that we're facing is that it propels, right? It catapults, it brings death to our face and our consciences and our thinking, the risk of infection and the possibility of death to our faces day by day. And I want to say to you, the greatest danger is this. The greatest danger, let me speak about my joy and your joy. I said, it's wonderful that for two weeks, at least in ERPC and many other churches in Singapore, we decided balancing our responsibility to God and to our people and the risks that are involved globally, locally in Singapore. So some of us have suspended services, so we suspended for two weeks. So we moved from centralised church, physical church, to house churches. And that's why you're enjoying this at home, right? And it's time to reset as you have more time at home. On a Saturday, Sunday, we are time-poor people, love-poor people, to now being rich in Christ and rich in love. Why don't you go out to a park? And being out there is wonderful, don't you think? More, we become healthier, etc. And just to show you, I walked. One night, a Thursday night, I was free. So I never knew of this walk. I found out about it. I parked at Vivo City, Harbourfront, and I walked across that bridge to Sentosa, and it's all free. And no one was there. There was a huge wind blowing. And at 8 p.m., I so happened to chance upon this thing called this crane fountain. And as the wind blew, my goodness, all that spray was cooling. I was in seventh heaven. My family was busy or maybe lazy. I mean busy, um, not lazy. They couldn't come that night and I was enjoying this. But some other day, they came along with me. Oh, sorry. And guess what I saw? Free fireworks. You ever been to Sentosa? You ever walked that walk? It's free, friends. It's not bad. It's quite nice. It's quite nice. Fireworks. And the only people enjoying it? Foreigners. Foreigners. <laughs> Tourists. Where are the Singaporeans? I do not know. And then the next day, we go for a walk, just to prove it's not just me. So from time poor, love poor, relationship poor, to rich in Christ, rich in love, Time to go out there, kick a ball, watch nature, fly a kite, marina barrage, wherever you go, breathe in healthy air. That's the wonderful thing about decentralising to our home churches. 
But then my joy is balanced with my worry that should begin, become our worry. This live stream, hey, it's so nice, right? Can sit at home, uh, eat chips, drink coke, hey, don't have to travel from Pasiris or anywhere to go to church. I could get used to this. Don't get used to this. The moment we resume, we hope to see you back here in full force. So turn to each other and say, don't get used to this. Right? I miss you and you miss me. Is that right? All the musicians and singers? Let's say an echo. The musicians and singers say, we miss you. Hallelujah. Yeah. And then when we resume services, my greater, bigger worry is to resume, uh, life is back to normal. What is normal? Normal is chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. We see what we like, we like what we see, we take what we like. We live in glorious independence against God. We start, to appreciate, we start to go down the same route again, the goodness of badness. No God, no problem. Really? No God, no problem? After this, I pray that more of us will say, no more. I'm not going to live like that anymore. God has given me a chance to awaken spiritually. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So I better get this right. He's either Lord of my life or not Lord of my life. So many people are asking us, when are we resuming services? We'll keep praying and balancing as your pastors and leaders. The national scene, uh, the global scene, what's happening in Japan and Korea, will it come to us? In what way will it come to us? Do we let down our guard now? Do we let it down later? We don't take our cue by simply following others because each church has its unique people and demographics. We have a high proportion of children, a high proportion of medical personnel, a high proportion of many who are essential services. Right? Then you ask, are we going to have the John Piper Conference, which is a month away? And this is what I got from John Piper and his team. And in the words of his manager, could this be, in this moment when people are struggling with this and fearful, could this be, might this be God's purpose for us to come and preach the gospel to you? And that's to show that John and Desiring God are committed to come. So please sign up. Please come. Because in the midst of bad news, is the best time to preach the good news of Jesus. So yes, I miss you. I told you last week, I miss the children. I miss also the adults, I must say that. I hope to see you again. I'm feeling a bit lonely, but in Christ, I'm safe, I'm secure. We're going to resume our time, but more than anything else, is for you to believe in Jesus, loving you, saving you, and lording over every moment of your life. Let's pray. Let's sing this closing song together. You may sing sitting down in your homes. You may want to sing standing up. Let's pray together. You always deserve our praise. You always deserve the surrender of our lives. You rightly deserve the worship of our lives. But we keep reading your word and reveal to us all the way from Noah's generation that we become a human race. And your description of us is that every inclination of our hearts is only evil all the time. It's what we allow in our hearts, proud, self-pleasing, that grieves your heart, O oh God. We are so sorry, and so we should rightly fear your wrath against us, that you have every right to be angry with us, every right to judge us, every right to punish us. But we can humbly trust your mercy as you first showed to Noah, whose name means rest or comfort, and finally to Jesus, Jesus and the wonderful cross. And as we listen to Jesus and the wonderful cross, may our attitude never be, listen with no impact. Listen and nothing changes. Listen and give our opinions. We should listen and give our obedience and be men and women living under instruction, the instruction of the Lord Jesus. And so we pray 
that even in this time of bad news, that we'll be strengthened by your Spirit to be the vessels of good news and our lives, personally, our marriages and our families and our churches will be so rich in Christ Jesus, so rich in time, so rich in love, so rich in relationships, and we will go and share these riches with people around us for their salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.